you need to be a confident person confident in how you present yourself how you come across confidence is not just for the bar for so many jobs um, confidence is, is incredibly important how you present yourself everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This podcast is brought to you by Feed Ignite. Welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. My name's Camilla and I'm a law graduate currently applying for training contracts and I'm going to be your host today. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Alex Brown, commercial litigation and arbitration barrister from One Essex Court. Alex is going to be giving us more details about what his job entails, what life is like at a leading set of chambers and what his journey was like to the bar. Alex is also going to be sharing key information about how to write successful pupillage applications and how to increase your chances of succeeding at interview stage. So do make sure you stick around for that. Welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast, Alex. Thank you so much for being here today with us. Thank you, Camilla. It's great to be here. Fantastic. So we've got quite a few questions as we were discussing before to get through. So let's get straight into it. Um, Can you just start by giving the listeners an overview of your practice? Absolutely. So as you said, I'm a barrister at One Essex Court. Uh, That is one of the leading commercial law chambers in London uh, and indeed in the country. Uh, I am 11 years cool, which means I've been practising as a barrister for about 10 years. uh, And I do cases involving any aspect of commercial life. Uh, And one thing I didn't really know until I started at One Essex was that commercial law it isn't really an area of law as such. It just refers to a dispute between commercial parties. Right. And that means that it involves numerous different areas of law. I mean, at its heart, contract and contract law comes up in, in almost every case. But my cases may involve fraud, negligence, competition, injunctive relief, banking law, economic torts, uh, company law, judicial review, tax, agency, gambling, intellectual property, sort of you name it, almost any area of law can come up. And as a commercial barrister, uh, I'm expected to deal with that and, and get on top of that area of law. The very high value cases worth several million, perhaps hundreds of millions. Uh, I work with a Queen's Council, a QC, uh, and as a junior I help prepare the case, work with the QC, formulate the arguments, and then the QC does the advocacy in court. Uh, And then you also have the cases that you do by yourself, uh, which increase in value and complexity very quickly. So at the very start of your your journey as a commercial barrister, your cases might only be worth a few thousand, but, but relatively quickly, I've been doing cases worth hundreds of thousands and then millions um, where I'm the only barrister involved, and so I'm doing all of the advocacy in court. So my practice encompasses all those different areas of of commercial life and law uh, and will involve numerous different um, areas of life, and uh, they're usually very complicated and worth 
um, anything from a few hundred thousand to several hundred million. Fantastic. That's, that's so interesting. And something that I didn't really think about before, that you would have to deal with such a broad range of issues. So is it commonplace that a case comes across your desk that you've, you know, you've never dealt with that type of law before? How would you go about, you know, becoming a sort of an expert in that to the point where you can argue that in court? Uh, it's a great question. So it, it is, especially at the start, um, it is absolutely the case that, that you will get a case that you, you know nothing about that area of law. And essentially, you, you have to do what any law student, I'm sure, will be familiar with. Go to the textbooks yeah. and read up on it and then go to the cases and read up on those as well. And you have to do a lot of research um, as a commercial barrister. Or, and, and so to give an example... Uh, I had never done any gambling cases or, or done any licensing law or anything like that at all. I've had to do a few of those now, um, a sort of niche practice. There was a, a QC in Chambers that did gambling law. And I, I picked up that and had to learn an entirely new area of law within a relatively short period of time. And as you say, become essentially an expert on it yeah. um, to the extent that you can formulate and, and pursue arguments uh, in that area. Yeah, that must be so interesting, covering lots of different topics. So for our listeners who might be thinking, OK, well, what's a typical day like? Is there is there something that you come across a lot? Is there a typical case that you will sort of deal with on, on a day to day basis? I mean, and that's, that's a very good question. And I think the, the short glib answer is there's no such thing as a typical case. Right. Um, every case is is quite different. I've done cases involving Russian conspiracies, Irish crisps. Angolan government corruption, <laughs> Serbian medical devices, um, Albanian financial <laughs> fraud, Nigerian rice, you know, you, you name it, um, something wacky and different can come across uh, my desk. And, and the reason for that is that London is the legal capital of the world, or at least one of them, but, but I would certainly argue the preeminent one. Uh, and that means that a lot of international cases, complex international cases, come to London, um, which which is fantastic for me as a commercial barrister yeah. um, working in London. So, so I'll give an example. Um, about two years ago now, I did a case involving the Angolan government. The Angolan president had appointed his son to oversee the Angolan sovereign wealth fund. So that's the money the government receives from its exports, minimal wealth, uh, things like that. And his son appointed a, a good friend to manage the investments of that sovereign wealth fund, and I acted for that investment manager. The Angolan president stepped down, and one of his generals took place, um, took his place as president. Um, no, no, unfortunately, no real democracy out there. Uh, and the new president wanted to get his hands on the sovereign wealth fund, um, so because he wanted the money for himself. Right. Um, the money was in locked up in long-term investment agreements. So it couldn't be accessed. So the Angolan government sued my client and alleged fraud and corruption and said that he should never have had that money. He conned the Angolan government and they wanted to get him for $300 million. Right. Um, and uh, they obtained what's called a freezing injunction, freezing all of his assets. My client went out to Angola to try and sort things out and they arrested him and put him in prison. Um, and I was then instructed to get rid of this injunction and to try and defeat the claims against my client, get him out of prison, get rid of um, all of this. Uh, and this was quite a high profile case, had nothing really to do with London. Uh, it was all about Angola. 
<laughs> all the agreements were Angola, all the investments were in Angola. My client lived in in, in Dubai and, and Angola and various places. And he did have yeah. a, a flat in London, yeah, but there was no real connection to London. And yet this this massive, high value, high profile uh, African claim got fought out in the English high court. And uh, ultimately, we won. I got the injunctions lifted. My client um, reached a settlement and got out of prison. Right. But, but, you know, that is not an atypical case for me. I mean, no. I, I've had cases, as I say, they vary so much. Um, but quite often, high-value, international, complex claims, those are the sorts of things that come to London. Right. So it's, it's usual to get the unusual for you then that's that's a great way of putting it absolutely i mean there's i i should add most of my cases i say involve a contract and there's some very sort of vanilla basic contract claims that sort of bread and butter that come in quite a lot but as a commercial barrister certainly one at leading chambers you also get lots of unusual complex high profile international cases as well um coming along your across your desk quite regularly Sounds very interesting. So when you get a case where there's hundreds of millions of pounds or dollars or whatever currency you're working in at stake, do you ever feel the pressure? And how do you deal with that pressure? Absolutely. um, I feel that pressure. And I think everyone does, uh, to some extent. Uh, Barristers, as I think we'll come on to, are are self-employed, and they take on a lot of responsibility very early in their careers. Um, whether it's a case where you're the only barrister or a bigger case where you're working with a QC, you you end up being responsible for judgment calls, decisions where uh, huge sums at stake. And you certainly feel pressure um, when when you get down to that or when you're preparing for a trial and having to to write cross-examination. Everyone feels pressure. Um, What I would say is that the sort of person that becomes a barrister, usually thrives under that sort of pressure, or at least has a way of, of coping with it. Um, and if I say for me personally, I quite enjoy that pressure. The big cases with the big decisions, they, they excite me. And, and I do get stressed out sometimes, usually in preparing for court hearings, which are you know the sort of big set pieces um, that are the most uh, exciting, but also the most difficult. But, but you really have to work out a way of using that adrenaline um, to help you focus and perform. Um, and, and ultimately, if that isn't the sort of thing that you like the sound of, then being a barrister probably isn't for you. If you're sort of a uh, someone that prefers sort of a backseat, behind-the-scenes role, then, you know, not, and, and to avoid the spotlight, that's probably not someone that's, that's going to succeed that much as a barrister. That's definitely useful, I'm sure, for many people to know. Um, so we've kind of just discussed that a typical work week, probably you don't have a typical work week, but maybe in terms of hours, we could, what does your week look like generally? Yeah, well, I mean, rather than cases, if you focus on tasks, yeah, one way of looking at a sort of typical week. Um, as a commercial barrister, you spend a lot of time reading, reading documents. Okay. Um, from when you're first instructed, you're usually sent instructions and a whole bunch of documents to read. And as cases go on, there's usually hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of documents that need to be read. And one of the key skills of, of a commercial barrister is to identify the issues and identify what is important uh, and not so important you know, from the get go, really. So you can 
work out what you need to focus on uh, and how best to formulate uh, your case and present that um, at, at court. Um, I also spend a lot of time doing legal research. Um, as we've discussed, new areas of law come up all the time. Even if it's not a new area, if it's an area that I'm, I'm quite on top of, um, there are always new points. It, it, it is, I, I'm not sure I've ever had a case where I haven't had to do any legal research at all um, because you always need to check the latest developments, the latest, latest cases. So uh, reading, legal research, um, also conferences, uh, with clients or solicitors or, or with the, the, the ultimate lay clients as well. At the moment during coronavirus, we're doing those by Zoom or Skype or something, but uh, you still have to, to have them as well. Um, and then finally, of course, court hearings um, where you go before a judge. Uh, and to be clear, I think this is important. As a commercial barrister, um, you're not in court every day or even every week. Uh, it varies according to what you're doing. But generally speaking, we spend far more time in preparation uh, and only go to court occasionally. Uh, it, it varies, but maybe maybe once a month, something like that. Maybe not even that. Really? Once a month? Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, I mean, you might spend sort of three weeks um, in chambers preparing for a hearing that then takes two or three days. Yeah, okay. Or, or you know, if you've got uh, a six-week trial something massive you're going to spend months in chambers preparing for that trial that makes a lot of sense now that you kind of put it like that with all that research involved so many of our listeners uh, might you know could be at university they don't know they've never been self-employed and barristers being self-employed I suppose that's that's something that listeners might not fully understand maybe what the pros and cons are of, of being self-employed as a barrister. Could you maybe walk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll start with saying I love being self-employed. Uh, I am unemployable now. Um, <laughs> I, I couldn't I couldn't be employed by anyone. Um, I love having no boss. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you, within reason, uh, you work the hours you yeah. like, you go on holiday, when you want, you work from home or, or from chambers or from wherever you want. Um, you have a, a huge degree of flexibility and control over your own working life. That sounds brilliant. And that is and that is cannot be sort of overstated how important and, and, and useful that is. I mean, we're currently in the middle of coronavirus. Everyone's having to work from home as a barrister, as a commercial barrister. Fine. Yeah. You know, I already have a study. I already have everything set up to work from home. I, I can do that. Um, so, so that is is really, really um, important. In terms of the worst aspects, I, I'm not sure that there is one, really. I suppose the type of person, this echoes what I was saying earlier, the type of person that becomes a barrister usually is quite self-determined, self-motivated, yeah. you know, is going to get up at get, going to get out of bed in the morning and get going without being told by a boss be here for nine o'clock right um so you have to have that self-motivation yeah i suppose one downside is that you don't get regular salary payments yeah. I, I don't get a monthly salary payment i get paid as and when my clients feel like it <laughs> essentially um so, so cash flow can be quite erratic okay. uh okay. but but as a commercial barrister, I, I have pretty good earnings, if I can put it like that. So, so money isn't isn't a worry. It, it, it's more that 
you know, I might not get paid for three months and then suddenly I'll get oh, okay. a lot of money in because it's just as and when my clients ultimately pay. Fine. And, and do you have to network a lot as a barrister to make sure that you're getting that pipeline of work? Or is that something that you, once you get to a certain level, the work just kind of comes in? There, there is certainly an extent um, that, that networking is required. Um how it works when you first join the chambers is that your clerks who are um, incredibly important and it's something that your, your listeners may um, have no idea about I don't think I had any idea about before I joined the bar yeah. your, your clerks are people that manage your diary uh, and manage your practice uh, and help develop your practice uh, and, and they are they spend right. their time essentially sort of marketing and trying to bring in new cases to get you instructed on so, so they do a lot of that sort of work but of course you as a barrister have to do that as well so I I will um, do talks presentations to solicitors firms on particular areas that I am good at uh, or, or particular cases if I've had a, a good result then I'll, I'll put together a, a short talk on it and go to solicitors firms and, and deliver that and, and you know that will get me known in the area as someone that he's good at freezing injunctions or, or, or whatever and we also have various sort of networking events drinks events uh, celebrations parties you name it you know there's there's various sort of networking events that one oh, can go fun. to and, and get their name and their face out there yeah of course so go let's rewind back to your journey to the bar what was it like for you when you were setting out to secure pupillage did it did you get it on the first round? Did it take you a few rounds? You know, I'd love to hear about your story. Yeah, so um, go back to university. Uh, don't need to go back any further than that. Um, <laughs> I studied politics and philosophy at Warwick University. Um, then I decided I wanted to do something productive. Uh, so uh, I have always enjoyed arguing and public speaking a couple of people had recommended um, looking into the bar, uh, being a barrister. Um, so I did the law conversion course, uh, the GDL at, at BPP in London. Uh, and during that year, I did everything I could to bolster my CV, essentially. I, I entered mooting competitions. I did tons of, of mini pupillages. Um, that's what we call work experience uh, at different uh, chambers. Uh, and through that process, I decided that commercial law was the most interesting type of practice uh, for, for many of the reasons I've already given. Um, the variety of cases uh, and facts and law um, is, is incredible, actually. So I applied for pupillage with uh, commercial chambers. Uh, I was invited to, I think, something like 15 first round interviews and about six or so second round interviews. Um, and from that, I was offered pupillage at a few places, uh, including one Essex court, uh, which was the obvious choice, as it is one of the best chambers around. Right. Um, I, I'm not just saying that you can you can look it up. One Essex is is um, yeah. really a preeminent um, set of chambers. So, so I, I was one of the lucky ones who got pupillage on first on the first try. Brilliant. Can you tell us a bit about the uh, student outreach events that one Essex Court holds? Um, I, I know that we discussed this a bit a bit earlier. Uh, what, yeah, what kind of work do they do? 
Yeah, absolutely. So it's something that I feel quite passionate about. Um, there is a perception, or at least there has been a perception, that the, the bar, and especially the commercial bar, it is for a particular type of person, uh, white, male, Oxbridge, posh. <laughs> uh, and that's historically, there may have been some truth to that, um, okay. frankly, but that is no longer the case. And it, it's certainly something that, that my chambers feels very strongly about the commercial bar as a whole feels strongly about that, it, that we need to break down each each one of those um that that you know diversity in all its forms not just white people not just men not just oxbridge people and not just people from uh, posh or sort of higher socio-economic backgrounds um, Brilliant, the yeah. particular aspect that i'm interested in um most uh, and all of those are important but the particular aspect that i focus on it is breaking down the idea that only oxford and cambridge students can become barristers. Um, so in the last couple of years, few years, I, I've become responsible for my chamber's uh, student outreach. Uh, part of the reason I'm doing this podcast, frankly, um, is, is that I like to try and encourage students to learn more about the bar and uh, potentially to apply, especially those not from Oxford and Cambridge. Like me, I went to Warwick, and uh, I think I knew so little about the bar yeah. that I didn't even realise that there was a perception that it was Oxford and Cambridge. Um, but a lot of people do. And so we run these events. I think we've done about 15 or so in the past two years for you know, Warwick, Bristol, Imperial, York, Exeter, Nottingham, etc., etc., um, Queen Mary's lots and lots of them, um, where I answer questions like this, along with a panel of my colleagues, uh, and we try and sort of break down some of the perceptions uh, about the bar and the type of person um, that, that should apply, can apply. And I think that has an effect. Um, I, I know of several people that, that are applying as a result of those presentations, those, those outreach events that we've done. And of course, the hope is that over time, um, we get a more and more diverse uh, list of, of applicants and then a more and more diverse list of, of actual barristers. Brilliant. I think that's such a good initiative. Um, speaking from my own personal experience, I didn't go to a Russell Group University and I, I graduated a few years ago now, but like I kind of echo what you said, I knew so very little about commercial law careers in general um they just weren't really talked about and I think if it was it was just like oh well that's that's not something that we would get involved in type of thing because it was because it is for the the elite sort of thing so I think if we did have these kind of talks then at least we would have the awareness that that career option is out there and it's it's worth yeah it's worth exploring further to see if that's something that you would actually like to do Absolutely. And what, one point I would make is that solicitors firms, um, especially the big ones, have marketing budgets yes. and often marketing departments. They will go to every law fair and they will, you know, they make it very easy to find information out about them. It's very good that yes. they do that. I'm not criticising that. Um, the bar, because we're made up of self-employed individuals, uh, we don't we don't have, frankly, the time to go out to law fairs and, and produce loads of information about us. Um, I mean, when we do these student outreach events, um, we, we do them in chambers and we encourage students to come to us 
because frankly, getting um, a bunch of my colleagues to to travel out to, to various universities is very hard okay. because we're all so busy. Um, so the bar is historically not been very good at getting information out there about itself, especially the commercial bar. Um, that is a real pity because um, I believe it is an incredibly attractive job. Uh, I, I genuinely love my job. No one's paying me to say that. Um, and I, I wish more people knew about it and applied. Great. So just just to kind of finish that point off, would you say that it is a viable career option for anyone at any university, be that Russell Group or not? I mean, I think um, the better, I mean, the, the, the starting point I would say is if you want to succeed at the commercial bar, Grades are, are, are very, very important. Okay. So uh, at my chambers, we are primarily looking for those people with a first-class degree. Okay. And, you know, that's not to say it's absolutely required, but I, I, I sort of, you know, it's important that I'm honest, um, that, you know, most applicants and most people that get it, the, the significant majority, have first-class degrees. Okay. So grades are very important. As to the university you went to, we, as I say we don't discriminate on the basis of uh, Oxford and Cambridge we don't say oh Oxford you must be better at someone than someone that went to York for example right but of, but of course I'm not sure if it's necessarily Russell group or, or whatever other term you would use but if you went to a well-known good university that is going to be a relevant factor yes okay you know every every person will have different views on that but yeah. you know russell group is is going to be a good starting point right but every application and I, I can't stress this enough every application is looked at on its merits fine we are an absolute meritocracy because we're all self-employed uh it, one of the one of the, the the main features of the bar is that uh chambers become successful and stay successful by taking on the best people okay so my chambers is, is say, one of the, the best around. And we want the best people, whatever their backgrounds, to get uh, pupillage and, and, and tenancy, become a barrister at our chambers. So we look at every application on its merits. Um, you know, from that perspective, you know, the better the university you went to, the better the grades you got, the better all the other things that we can talk about on your CV, yeah. the more likely it is that your application will result in an interview. Fine. But if you've got like a first from a Russell group and a first from like a non-Russell group, as long as you're on a sort of an even playing field when it comes to other things, then it won't necessarily matter what university you went to. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's all in the mix. I mean, it's, it's difficult for me to give yeah, generalizations um, because, you know, we look at, we look at every candidate according yeah. to, you know, their circumstances. Um, I mean, I, suppose everyone everyone's so different and everyone's application is so different that you you can't give really cookie cutter answer for yeah, exactly that. Yeah. that makes sense so if any of our listeners are still undecided about whether they want a career at a bar or as a solicitor what advice would you give to them i think um i mean it's a really important question and i think the the starting point has to be the type of person that you are and what you are interested in doing because solicitor and barrister are are very very different jobs right um the the lines have blurred somewhat over the years but there's still a pretty clear delineation between their roles um if you are someone that likes working with people working with clients 
and um, helping them with their problems and and you know disputes that 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 aren't about going to court or anything like that, but actually helping them with their business affairs, things like that. That's that's more likely to be a solicitor. Um, if you are someone that likes um, reading and research and then public speaking, uh, and actually you're not as worried about helping people with their problems and sort of meeting people, um, that that is more likely to be a barrister. Um, and if we go back to the distinction I made earlier, if you're someone that can see yourself in the spotlight um, with the pressure on you, the focus on you, under pressure, if that's something that you're okay with, then barrister. If you prefer a more sort of behind the scenes role, helping people, um, then then that's going to be a solicitor. Um, there's other distinctions, but that that sort of the type of person that you are, I think, should be your sort of starting point. So for me, I, as as any of my friends and family will tell you, I love arguing. I love I love speaking. I love the sound of my own voice, as right. I'm sure you can tell already. Um, <laughs> and so for me, being a barrister was was pretty obvious. Um, Natural I, I didn't choice. Really seriously consider being a solicitor. Yeah. Um, and I know many solicitors. The opposite was true for them. They can't imagine standing in court and being, you know, harangued by the judge and asked tough questions. They would much rather, you know, sit there and sit down with a client and work through whatever they, they are struggling with. So, so that should be your sort of starting point. The other, the other sort of key issue I'd make about the barrister solicitor distinction is that the, the area of law that you practice in makes as much of a difference as the barrister solicitor distinction. So I'm a commercial barrister. Um, a good friend of mine is a family law solicitor. Our two jobs could not really be more different. We are both lawyers. That's pretty much where the comparison ends. Um, the types of things we do, the types of cases we do are, are, are utterly, utterly different. Um, so the type of law that you do um, is as as much of a important decision as the barrister solicitor distinction. I mean, what a solicitor, what a commercial law solicitor does is not a million miles away from what I do as a commercial law barrister. It, it bears a lot more resemblance than a family law solicitor. Right. So it, you've got to keep those two questions, area of law and barrister and solicitor, you've got to keep those two questions in mind when you're thinking about what, what profession to, to go into. So maybe it's quite wise to do, if you think that you want to be a barrister, maybe do so many pupillages in different areas to see what suits you best 100% that that is what I did and you know even if you have an idea what you want to do there's there's no harm so in doing other um areas so criminal law I was never that seriously interested in criminal law um I still did a criminal law mini pupillage yeah so I could see what it was like and that was good I got to see what it was like at the the coalface um and it was not for me but fine, you know, nothing, nothing wasted, you know, a few days to, to, to see what they do. Um, and then if it comes up in an interview, why did you want to do commercial law? You can say, well, I did many pupillages at X, Y, Z, A, B and C. And I, I enjoyed commercial law the most. So, so at the very least, you get uh, a good interview answer out of it. But, but, but more importantly, you actually get to decide what area of law might be for you. So going back to you know, wanting to kind of be in the spotlight and, uh, you know, having that pressure on you, what key skills do you think that are, that, that kind of underpin that? What key skills do 
does a barrister require do you think yeah i i think there's probably three key skills uh, and we've touched on some of this already um but but first is intelligence second is public speaking ability uh, and third is confidence so going through them intelligence uh, is incredibly important everyone at the commercial bar is is very bright frankly um, and that is for precisely the reason we discussed earlier. A new case comes in covering an entirely new area of life, a new industry and a new area of law. You've got to be bright to understand what is going on. What are the issues? You know, what do I need to look into? Where do I start in this? Um, so you need to be very intelligent. It also throughout your preparation of a case that will keep coming up. But, but to give a particular example. In a lot of my cases, there is what's called expert evidence, okay. where there's an issue that the court won't understand without having an expert come in and tell them this is what is the right answer, judge. Uh, and as a barrister, you're depending on the case, you're often quite involved in helping prepare that expert evidence and end up becoming almost a sort of mini expert yourself. <laughs> um, right. And ultimately, when it goes to trial, in a case where you have an expert and the other side has an expert, you'll have to cross-examine, question, the other side's expert on their expert area. Wow. And to do that, you essentially have to become an expert. You have to know what you're talking about. So to, to give an example, uh, I've done quite a few oil and gas cases about drilling for oil and the formation of oil and, and gas. And I had one case where we had hydrocarbon experts, experts on the geology and geochemistry of, of oil and how it was formed. Um, I had to help write or help prepare my side's expert report on that, which meant becoming say, a mini expert on the area. And then when it goes to trial, I, I had to be in a position that I could ask a geochemist about why in this particular case, hydrocarbon formation of the coast of West Africa was unlikely in these particular circumstances. I mean, that, that is exceptionally, exceptionally difficult, frankly. And to be able to pick up a new expert discipline yeah. is something that requires very, very brainy people. There's no getting away from it. Um, I mean, that's why we talked about grades earlier. That's why we're, we're looking for the sort of the brightest of the bright who can deal with those sorts of um, issues. The second factor I mentioned of skill, public speaking. Yeah. I mean, that's for obvious reasons. It, it, you need to be able to speak coherently and, and formulate an argument and present it, um, not just in court, but in conferences to other barristers to to solicitors you need to be uh, comfortable and, and confident in in speaking to other people um, and giving advice which leads into the third skill i mentioned which is confidence which i think cannot be overstated um, you need to be a confident person confident in how you present yourself how you come across and some of that you may be faking it <laughs> you know the old phrase fake it till you make it yeah. um when i started out when i was um uh, went to interviews and when i was a pupil um as a trainee you know i i was i was full of doubts and and self-doubt and and everything you've got to be able to you know put on a face and 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 pretend to be confident pretend to know what you're talking about and hopefully over a few years you end up knowing something <laughs> so the confidence can be can be justified um 
but but confidence is not just for the bar for so many jobs um confidence is is incredibly important how you present yourself well fake it till you make it is one of my favorite phrases so i'm really glad you mentioned <laughs> that um but yeah i mean that's they all sound like really important skills to have at the bar and you would definitely be also a, a good person to have on a pub quiz with all, with all your broad knowledge. <laughs> be having a, it'd be like a bit of an unfair advantage having you on the team, I think. <laughs> That's true. You do pick up the sort of very random bits of knowledge. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did a case about uh, Irish crisps. Right. And, and I suddenly, for, for a, a six months or so, I had to become, say, an expert on, on the crisp market and, and what types of crisps appeal to different people and how they are sold in supermarkets and, and sellers and, and, and how supermarkets decide what crisps are in there. And, you know, for those six months, if you'd asked me about, you know, Walker's crisps, I'd have been able to tell you their different product lines and, and why it mattered and why Sainsbury's have this particular one and, and yeah so you do end up as a repository of, of all sorts of useless information <laughs> <laughs> so um let's talk about the application stage and the interview stage for uh those listeners who might be thinking about making applications in, in the next round um how do you think a student can stand out in a pupillage application uh the starting point as we've discussed, grades are, right. are incredibly important. And whenever I do one of our, our student events, we can talk about extracurricular mini pupillages and we'll, we'll come to that. But the, the starting point is is grades. Okay. So get as high a grade as you can. Frankly, um, that, that, you know, I got a first class degree and top in my year. And, you know, that looks great on a CV, frankly. Yeah. The higher grades you can get, the higher, not just, you know, not just the actual ultimate grade, but the highest module marks you can do which also go down on an application the better so so that is the first and most important uh, point um, beyond that it, it's the it's the things we've been talking about mini pupillages showing that you've done work experience and you understand the bar and you have a coherent clear explanation as to why you want to go to the commercial bar for my example but what the, the same is true for any area of law any job really but you know if, if you're at an interview someone will ask you why do you want to do this you need a you need a good answer yeah. and, and having work experience and having uh, examples you, you can give of, of cases you're interested in that you know becoming uh, immersed in, in that area of law that that particular uh, profession um, so that you can speak knowledgeably about it is is very important. Um, other things you can do, it's all the it's all the classics: debating, mooting, uh, any if there's citizens advice bureau and sort of free legal advice clinics that you can volunteer at. Really, anything you can do that shows an interest, um, a, a passion, a dedication to pursuing that career, uh, and that you know all goes down on a CV. Uh, and as we've mentioned earlier. Everything is looked at, you know, individually. Any each individual application, uh, and so there isn't a sort of model template CV of what we are looking for. You have to have done mooting. You have to have done debating or something. No, I, I didn't like debating. I never did debating. I quite enjoyed mooting, uh, and I won a national mooting competition, and I'm sure that looked great on a CV. <laughs> um, so if you can do that, great. But, you know, that was my CV and my application. Every individual person's needs to be, you know, according to what they are interested in and what they are good at. Um, yeah. So 
I think it's uh, there's no I'm afraid there's no sort of silver bullet I can say do this okay. and your application will stand out it, it's a it's the mixture of doing all of these things and getting the highest possible grades you can um so what what about for the interview stage do you what how do you would you suggest that a candidate prepare for um, presenting their their best self at, at a pupillage interview yeah I think um I mean all the you can you can buy books uh, or, or just ask around and find out the sort of typical questions that you may get asked um, and, and obviously practice answers to those questions if someone says why a barrister or why commercial law or why this chambers have an answer ready do as many interviews as you can make as many applications as you can so let's say I did about 15 or so uh, my first couple were, were pretty much disasters I was asked questions that I didn't have a clue so I was asked at one um, what my favourite House of Lords decision was, um, now the Supreme Court. Um, and I had no clue. I sort of just sat there and went, um, ah, uh, um, uh, That sounds horrendous. Um, and, and, and literally didn't have an answer. And unsurprisingly, I didn't get offered pupillage there. Um, but it, I did make sure for every subsequent interview, I had an answer. Yeah. So that if I ever got asked that again, I don't think I ever was asked it again, but if I was, I had an answer. I could say, well, in Sempra Metals, blah, 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 blah. I had, I had an answer ready. So use interviews as experience to, to build up a repository of questions you may be asked and have, you know, well-rehearsed good answers to those. The, the, the sort of second, I mean, a lot of this is, is uh, somewhat repeating myself or echoing myself, is, is being confident. Mm-hmm. Uh, presenting yourself well obviously you know, dress so you, you know dress to impress and and come along and be ready to to give clear confident answers um to whatever questions you are asked um it's absolutely okay to pause and think before you answer a question um uh, I, I don't i don't help students prepare for people at interviews but i do help witnesses prepare to be cross-examined in court and uh, something i tell them and I think this applies actually equally to students uh, at interview. Um, I use an acronym TUPA, um, which is think, understand, uh, pause, and answer. So, so you know, actually, when you get asked a question, think about it. Make sure you've understood the question. Pause. Don't don't rush into an answer. And then finally, when you are ready, answer. Uh, and a lot of people, I think, have sort of verbal diarrhea where they're asked a question, they don't know what to say, and so they either go, um, 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 or they just talk nonsense for 30 seconds. And we can tell. <laughs> you know, we're barristers. We know all these tricks. So there's no problem with just saying, hmm, let me think about that. Okay, I think the answer is this. That's fine. That's good, in fact. Right. So, so thinking, pausing making sure you understand what you are being asked uh, before answering uh, is very important. Uh, at, at my chambers and many other commercial law chambers, that, that's the only area I'm afraid I have experience of, so I can't comment wider, but we, we set students a, a sample problem, generally sort of a contract law, but may involve other areas of law as well. We give them a, a problem, a case scenario, and we give them access to a textbook and give them an hour to, to come up with answers to the, the sort of key questions. They then present their answers and we then cross-examine them, question them, 
uh, and ask follow-up questions, which hopefully gets us to see how someone thinks, how they formulate their arguments, how they present themselves, uh, and then with our questions, how they respond sort of off the cuff, on their feet, to difficult questions, um, which we hope is, is uh, the closest we can come in an interview setting to actually assessing what someone would be like as a barrister. So uh, being ready to, to for that sort of exercise, uh, you know, that, that is going to be what, what's going to help you um, at interview. That's really, that's really insightful, actually. Um, I don't know if there's anywhere to kind of prepare for that, but maybe you could do some sort of, do you know of any resources that people can access to practice things like that? Or is that just something that I'm not, I'm not, I think the, they should be the sorts of cases that you've hopefully done on your legal studies, but even if they're not, okay. we want to see how you think on your feet. So, I mean, I, I remember mine, it was 12 years ago, but I, I remember it uh, 13 years ago, horrible, horribly long time ago. Um, I, there was a point in there, this isn't the same problem we use now, so <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, there was a point in there about penalty clauses. Okay. I, I went in, presented my answers, and one of the barristers uh, asked me and said, well, did you consider the penalty clause point? And I hadn't considered it at all. Right. I hadn't noticed it, I don't think. But, but off the cuff, I came up with a very good answer, um, which made it look like I had thought about it and, and, and already formulated an answer. Wow. Uh, and that was enough to, to trick them into thinking I, was, <laughs> I knew what I was talking about. But, but there's, there's something to that, the ability to think on your feet um, and come up with, with clever um, well-reasoned answers um, and it's important to note we're not necessarily looking for the right answer actually that is less far less important than how you think how you formulate how you identify the issues uh, you know you, you may not be aware of a recent supreme court decision which changed the law in this particular area so be it we're not going to we're not going to penalize you for, for not knowing that if you can come up with a well a well reasoned well presented argument for why you're right and then you're you're questioned on it and you're able to 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 uh, keep um, your position and able to to defend your position under questioning that even if you're wrong it doesn't actually matter so long as you're able to present and argue your case I, I've definitely heard that before, and I think yeah that's that's great advice. So what about commercial awareness? So, I, mean, I, know, I know that's <laughs> something that everyone loves to talk about. It's very important. Um, how do you think, well, what's first of all, what's your favourite way of keeping up with the commercial news? Um, and how do you think that can be uh, demonstrated maybe in interviews? I, mean, I, I think it's a really tough, um, tough thing to expect students to be on top of. Right. Um, I mean, when you're a student, you're at university, you're not, you're not in commercial life. Mm. So... I don't really know how you, um, I mean, beyond the same things that I do, which obviously keep up with current affairs, yeah. read some good newspapers, um, read some good you know, magazines and journals, the Times, The Economist, things like that. Uh, I don't have any particular insight as to, as to particular things that you can do. The Times has a good law section every week, um, staying on top of general commercial developments and commercial um, cases. Uh, can be useful um, but but I'm afraid I don't uh, I think I think it's an incredibly hard requirement to expect of students I don't know how much commercial awareness I had when I applied 
being being I think looking beyond knowledge what what is perhaps of interest in this area is your ability to think about the commercial implications for a particular point or particular argument particular uh, claim that you may make or a client may make so it, it may be for example I'm advising a client you could go and make this argument but actually that argument is going to make them look really bad yeah. <laughs> from a PR perspective or it's going to annoy some some regulator or something like that and the, the just the appreciation that the law isn't the only aspect of a case yeah actually um it's an aspect and it's an important aspect and as a lawyer it's the most important aspect but for the client it's often not the most important aspect and being able to recognize that you may you know your job isn't to set out all the pr risks and nightmares for a client but but being aware that that might be something that they're interested in probably is something they're interested in um and also being able to advise them on settlement so and again i'm afraid i don't know how this how students could possibly be on top of this or how they can demonstrate it in an interview but, but the realization that, that most commercial cases settle the vast majority of commercial cases settle because taking a commercial case to trial costs a fortune <laughs> frankly and is very risky as well um, even if you've got a slam dunk case there's there's really no such thing as a slam dunk case um, there's always risks uh, of taking something to trial uh, and so understanding for clients settling a case um, paying off the other side even if you think they've got a bad argument paying them off for a certain amount of money to get rid of the case might sometimes be the best answer it's cheaper. Um, I, 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 yeah absolutely so i'm doing a case at the moment where i think the other side's case is very poor i do not see them winning at trial but that said uh i i have advised my client uh, along with the solicitors that, that they should be willing to make a a payment make a settlement offer for a certain sum to, to essentially pay off that risk uh, and also to pay off the, 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 the costs that my client would incur, the management time that my client would incur, the distraction of the, this litigation. All of that is worth something to my client. So even if the other side has no chance of winning, actually paying them off, sometimes, I'm not saying in every case, but sometimes that there is some merit to that. Um, so all of this is a sort of long-winded way of saying uh, that commercial considerations wider sort of commercial perspective on a case can be very important i'm afraid I, I i'm not really sure how a student is meant to demonstrate that especially in an interview setting i think that's that's exceptionally difficult so what do you are there any work are there any words of wisdom that you could have told yourself at the beginning of your career or anything that you wish you'd have done differently I'm really not sure there is. Um, <laughs> I've thought about this, and, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I think, as I said earlier, I'm very happy in my job. I love my job, frankly. Yeah. There are parts of it that are that are tougher than others, but but overall, I'm, I'm very happy with um, my my job, my career, my practice as it's developed over time. Um, so I'm not sure that uh, there's anything really that I, I would. Well, that's a good answer. That I would be able to say to my younger self. Um, sorry. <laughs> no, that's that's absolutely fine. It's it's uh, it just goes to show that you've really thought about things um, and made good decisions. So 
it's good that you don't have anything to go for <laughs> yourself to do differently. So what do you think your favourite thing about being a barrister is? Well, for me, it's not true of every barrister, but for me, I, I do love going to courts. I do love arguing a point. What's some, something that's interesting is you might say, well, if you love court, why didn't you become a criminal barrister? who goes to court every single day? Why would you become a commercial barrister mm. and not go to court for weeks on end? Why would you only go once a month rather than once a day? And, and the answer to that is that the, the advocacy in commercial cases is, is really at its highest level. As I said earlier, we spend okay. days, weeks preparing for court hearings. So do my opponents. So when we go into court, you've got two bright people who are good at public speaking who've spent days or weeks preparing their case preparing what they are going to say and it's sort of gladiatorial combat at its highest level you know two people who know what they're talking about who who can present their arguments as strongly as they can in an effort to persuade the judge and that that you know there's something quite majestic is probably putting it too high but there's something quite great about that actually um it's not like criminal law where where uh, criminal barristers rock up to court every day and they haven't had any time to prepare and or anything like that and there's very little law involved yeah. in, in this you know i've had cases where i've spent weeks preparing a particular argument on the law and it will all come down to the law one one case might I go in, so is my opponent. We're arguing, we're going through the cases, we're going through the authorities with the judge and putting our own spin on it and our own our own interpretation, our own way of arguing. And that that I personally think is very good fun. You may think that's not fun, but you know, that that yeah. As I said earlier, the type of person that finds that interesting, that's that's good with the legal research and the presenting of the arguments, you know, this is a great job for doing that. I don't think there's really any other job, frankly, that that ticks that box. It sounds a lot more varied as well. I mean, I don't know. I can't say for sure because I haven't done either job. But um, like you said, you have to become an expert in so many things from oil and gas to, you know, whatever else. So, I mean, I don't suppose they have that sort of variety in criminal law. So um, that's maybe one, the fact that you have to advocate about so many different things is perhaps more of a challenge than absolutely and, advocating and, and, for you know people sometimes other areas um, say well, why commercial law other than the money i get the money's great but why would i ever want to do something corporate law commercial law why would i want to do that and, and people think it's all about um you know finance or yeah. anything like that and that you know i do i do finance cases i do banking cases for sure um but Every case will involve something different. The variety is is is, is incredible, and actually, there's always something interesting. Um, I mean, as a barrister, you have to remember that cases only come to me when they're really difficult and they're going to trial. The easy cases that can be sorted out very quickly don't come to me. <laughs> you know, but by definition, if something is coming to a barrister. Um, there's either a very tricky legal point that the solicitor needs an answer to, or they're preparing for something to go to trial, to court. Um, and those sorts of cases are by their nature difficult, complicated and interesting. So, you know, almost every case I think has had um, at least something of, of interest to me. I mean, some cases are better than others, uh, frankly. Uh, but but as I say, almost every case has had at least one redeemable feature, one interesting feature. Brilliant. So I think that 
that marks the end of our interview um so thank you so much alex you've been an absolutely wonderful guest um and thank you to all of our listeners as well Um, and until next time goodbye To hear more of the Student Lawyers podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. We'd like to thank Felix Knight for producing this podcast today. Thank you.